You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church and the world today. Well, hello, family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I am your co-host, PJ, along with a fill-in, but but he's not just any kind of fill-in. He's actually a regular fill-in. He comes off the bench every now and then, and we have Joe Curtis with me. Joe, hey, welcome. Thank you. Peace be. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, we also have another special guest joining us today, and her name is Lori Krieg. And I actually have known Lori a whopping, well, digitally we met each other a a couple of months ago because she is taking the organizational change and leadership class that I am teaching at Wheaton. And so this past week we had an intensive week where 12 other of her classmates were there at Wheaton and I got to know her really well, and she is actually on the board of the Center for Faith, uh, Gender, and Sexuality. And so, uh, Lori, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's good to see you again after last week's intensive. I know. Are you, are you not tired of seeing me? Are, are you know, <laughs> not yet, Josh. Not not, not yet. yet. Not yet. <laughs> I had well, and I just sent out a message to you know all of the uh, the ladies who are in the the cohort. I truly had. The time of my life. It was such a hum, you know, it was just such such an honor to to be with you all. Like I actually truly like I, I learned a lot. And one one of the incredible things that I that, that they were very gracious with me <laughs> is they actually looked at all of my slides and, and gave me feedback. Ooh. And so just to have for Sunday sermon. For, I mean it was oh. I mean it was all I mean seriously, I can't tell you like I how how grateful I was for that kind of feedback for uh, for this sensitive topic, and then obviously, and and then and then even for you to be able to speak into it because of your work in this space, your ministry. Um, I mean, obviously, just in the short amount of time that I've gotten to know you, and then even see what what you've written, like, uh, yeah, to have you speak into it. It really was. It, it was. It was a great joy uh, for for that to happen. So, so with that, Lori, will you just tell? You know our our family and friends, like just a little bit about you, your background, and what the Lord has you doing right now. Yeah, so I've been professionally in this ministry space. Uh, it'll be ten years in February of twenty four that I have been camped out at the intersection between the church and uh, human sexuality really trying to equip the church to engage this space uh, as winsomely and gospel-centrically as possible. Uh, It began for me just blogging about my story. Someone had heard me share my story in a smaller space, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm coming out and sharing all my story uh, with the world because this blog had 30,000 readers a month. So right before that posted... (laughs) (laughs) to go tell my family, come out essentially to all of them. So I'm using those words, come out or share my story. So um, from a young age, I experienced attractions toward the same sex. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a judge and a lawyer and a ministry guy. We were on focus on the family. I have 11 brothers and sisters. So we grew up in a very moral majority, evangelical bubble culture, uh, which there's some wonderful things about that. Um, 
And at the same time, uh, in the 80s and 90s, if you guys can recall, was not too friendly and before that and since then, but especially then when I was growing up, uh, was not too friendly toward the LGBTQ conversation. And I overheard a lot of, quote, war on marriage talk and the, quote, homosexual agenda is going to come like I don't know, murder babies in their sleep. That was how I interpreted it. It's probably a little extreme. Uh, but me feeling these attractions toward the same sex, I was not like, oh, this is my version of broken sexuality that I need to surrender to the Lordship of Christ like everyone else is called to do. Mm. Nah, you guys shut that mess down. <laughs> and so, or that's that was my interpretation. Right. And so I did that growing up. Um, and then in college, at my Christian college, where I loved Jesus. I met another girl uh, who felt the same way about me as I did about her. And I found myself in a secret same-sex relationship. And I was baffled Mm. because I did not fit my own stereotypes of the quote, homosexual agenda. Mm. I thought I was supposed to be like sleeping around and like snorting cocaine off cars or something. Mm. (laughs) Like I was really confused because I loved Jesus as much as I knew how. And yet there was this part of me that I didn't know how to reconcile. Yeah. Long story short, someone came alongside me and discipled me, mm. not in how to go from gay to straight, but like you, Josh, like uh, your team there, uh, really understanding the expulsive power of a new affection, mm. how there is a deeper love that when we really encounter the love of Jesus, It says in Ephesians 3, may you know this love, though it is so great, you'll never fully understand it. Mm. But then you'll be filled with the fullness of life and power Mm. that comes from God. Mm. God's love empowers us not to go from gay to straight. Is that possible? Sure. Have I met anyone? No. Uh, But God's love empowers us to... Die to self daily. Mm. And so I've been doing that and not with like a slicing my wrists and this is just agony. But and I mean, temptation can be hard. Talk to literally anyone who's an honest Christian. But uh, I've been doing that since my young 20s. Wow. And now I'm older than that. And God had me uh, not be attracted to all men, nor did he call me into singleness, which is an equally valuable vocation. But he called me, not everyone like me, but me to have my heart connect to one man, Matt. Uh, And he said, the mode I want you to, to do the mission to make disciples is as a married person. And so that's what we've been doing as well. So that's my story. How many children? Let's take it to it. We got three kids. They are eight, six, and four. Oh, wow. Eight, six, wow. and four. Woo. Yeah. Fun times. Exactly. So, fun times. Well, well, not at all busy. Yeah. Well, Joe, I'll, I'll kick it over to you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, appreciate you being here, Lori. Thank you. Um, and we'll share uh, Lori's resources at the end, but I will mention them now. Lori uh, Craig, uh, Creek, excuse me, Lori Creek, L A U R I E. K-R-I-E-G dot com slash resources. And then you have a podcast, Hole in My Heart podcast, too. And we'll share that again later. But 
I want to encourage everyone as we get into this topic. We've got the weekend of July 15th to 16th. We have multiple verses, and I'm going to bring that up later. I love that. Of our TED series, Theological Educational Discourses, this week, which is our third week, Marriage and Family, Sexuality and Gender. Um, So... If someone just came in, and I want to encourage this, I really want to employ, if you just came in just for this service or just for this podcast, you really need to go back two weeks and listen to the first two weeks. They build on each other. Yeah. There's a basis, what we have here. Yeah. It, I mean, it really is a, again, I'm, I'm a linear kind of thinker. Mm-hmm. And so Lori got to see all kind of my linear ways of, of thinking. But, you know, we started out what, what we believe about the Bible. Like, so, because if we don't see the Bible as authoritative, it definitely isn't going to help shape into the the whole of life the way we're, we're going to see it. So we, we start out with what we believe about, about the Bible. Then we looked at what we believe about God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Then we looked at what we believe about humanity, both part A, when we were created, and before the fall came, and then part B, when the fall came. So we, we looked at what we believe about humanity. Then we looked at what we believe about salvation. So now that mm-hmm. humanity is broken, how how do we get saved or how are we redeemed or delivered? There were so many words we, we talked about of how the Bible at least gives us this understanding of salvation. And then from there, oh, we looked at now, okay, what do we believe about marriage? Because marriage is going to come out of humanity. And then what do we believe about the family? Because children are going to come out of the marriage. Mm-hmm. And then what do we believe also about sexuality and gender? Because those two are extremely fundamental to understanding the Imago Day on our life. And then next week, uh, we will look at what we believe about the church, because as the family grows and multiplies, they form a group and a community, and then eventually a nation. And so, what we want what we want to explain is: okay, what is what is the you know what, what is the church supposed to do? Who is the church? Mm-hmm. And then Christian discipleship. So, how now do you formulate what it means to be human after the image and likeness of Jesus? So they all build on one another. So yes, Beautiful. If, if you just come into the middle of the movie, you you'd be like my mama. You'd be like, "Okay, Josh, could you pause this? <laughs> yeah. Can you help me? Who's this guy?" I mean, so yeah, we don't want to do that. No, so. exactly. <laughs> so as we enter into this, and there was a lot of information, and I won't go through and read it all. I'm going to tell you. Go back to the sermon to to get it. But I will bring up a few things, and especially at the beginning, you talked about rules of engagement. And before I get to the first rules of engagement, the slide at the 11 o'clock was very, very funny because it was talking about (laughs) games in the house. And, And I will tell you, in our household, Uno... Is a serious game. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah. So Uno wasn't Joni and I's game. Uh-huh. It was Phase Ten. Oh, uh, okay. So, so Lori I, and, and I did do it. I did put it up on Saturday, but they they had just switched the like the uh, the order. Mm-hmm. But the so the rules of engagement. The very first slide of rules of engagement. I said no cussing, no hitting, and no name calling. So. Uh, but I said, oh, th- those are the board. Th- those are the card rules uh, that Joni and I have as a family. So let me give you. Let me give you these other three <laughs> yeah, rules of engagement. Exactly. So, but I was trying, you know. So I was trying to use humor to try to kind of gently enter into yeah. a sensitive topic. So that was right. the whole goal. And right. And and yeah. so the 
the actual rules of engagement, we enter into these conversations full of truth and grace. We enter into these conversations with humility. We enter into these conversations designed to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind and strength, and at the same time, love our neighbor as ourselves. Yeah. And I would actually add, and I was, I was talking to a, a group of staff members this morning, I, w- I would actually probably add a fourth rule of engagement. Mm-hmm. And I actually do want to write on this, but but it's also engaging these spaces with tears. Uh, so the Apostle Paul, he, he actually writes this in uh, – well, actually, Dr. Luke writes this in Acts. But he's quoting from Paul, and Paul, he says this to the Ephesian elders. I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears. And then you also have in Philippians uh, chapter 3, here's what Paul writes. He says, For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And then also in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 4, Paul writes, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. And I think what, what, what's happened today, and again, this is just from my, my, my perspective, is that pastors and church leaders have lost the ability to enter into these very tough spaces with tears. Mm-hmm. And you have, you have the Apostle Paul in three different places to three different people. He talks about the role tears played in his ministry. And that people did see that I was very emotional the, this weekend. Like, I mean, you look, you look at me like, yeah, like I'm getting emotional now because I know it's such a, such a tough topic for people. But when, when you enter into these spaces and you, and you do so with kind of a bravado, that, that is, that, that is not showing, I would say, the sensitivity and the deep emotional, um, uh, I would say posture that we actually should have in these very difficult areas, and so that so that's another one that I would say is make sure that you enter into these with tears. Yeah, and before I, I want to get a, a, a take from Lori, but yeah, one of the things I do want to add, and we had a conversation about this, you know, side conversation also, was two key points that I saw was that you did, like you said, you entered in with sense, being sensitive and humble to the subject because you were emotional. But the, the thing that I noticed, and this is you know why I definitely enjoyed it and look up to you during this, and several people said the same thing, you were not like some pastors come out when they talk about these subjects, apologetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I should say being apologetic, you know, apologizing for what we believe. This is no, this is the authority that is here, the Bible. And you didn't come off, well, I want to apologize for this. You said, no, this is what's here, but let's entering in being sensitive and humble. Yeah, and it's also making sure you understand what to apologize for, what not to apologize for. So yes, apologizing yes. that, because I did apologize. If you've ever felt like someone's used the Bible as a weapon to attack you, I am sorry. Mm-hmm. But didn't apologize for this is what the Bible, this is what we believe the Bible teaches. And so, but what do we, you know, what, what do we apologize for? What do we not apologize for? So, hey, Lori, we'd love to get your, you know, kind of get your expertise in on, you know, the idea of tears and even, you know, like what's your experience? Uh, how's your experience been on, on how you have observed 
leaders, pastors engage in this conversation? Any, you know, again, uh, maybe healthy ways, unhealthy ways. Hmm. What say you? I think the you're exactly right with naming the with tears. One of my subtle hints or nods I'll give to pastors who are like, hey, I want to engage this topic, but how can I engage it in uh, throughout the year? Besides just the sermon series around sexuality and gender or the sermon, if they choose to do one. Um, And I said, I want one, I want to hear you when you're doing your list of sins, especially sexual sins. So you know how sometimes you're like, if you're engaging in this or this or this, often pastors will omit mine. And I think some, they do that out of fear. Some, they haven't done it. They haven't done their study. Some, they think they're actually protecting me and they're being kinder to me. And I would say, here's how that lands with me when you uh, omit my issues, is it actually doesn't help me to feel safer. It actually helps me to feel like either you are so afraid or you're disgusted and you so don't want to engage it because it's the epitome and you don't want to, to touch that with a 10 foot pole. And so for you to name it, not with more disgust or less disgust, but with Equal levels of sin is sin, and Jesus had to die for all of it. That actually helps me to feel safer because I want to follow Jesus. My flesh doesn't, but my spirit does. And when you include my sin, when you're just rattling off uh, the gamut, um, that helps me to feel like I can trust you to hold me to uh, standards that I want to be held to uh, in my spirit. So I that's one. Yeah, that's that's good. Wow, really that's good. really good. Very, very powerful. Thank you, Lord, for sharing. Um, and I, then, go ahead. Well, I just was going to say, to your point about the with tears, if I don't hear pastors or leaders talk about this with weightiness, then I can almost guarantee you have not a, talked with people, met with people, or read enough of a wide range of books to realize that this is a heavy teaching. This is a hard teaching, just like when Jesus told the disciples about, you know, he's like, yeah, this is what I believe about divorce. And they're like, who can get married? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> think about that for a while, guys. <laughs> who can? Yeah. So this is a hard teaching, and it should be. Because if our lives make sense to the world, to paraphrase Francis Chan, probably paraphrasing someone else, but but if our lives make sense to the world, something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but it shouldn't be like, well, it shouldn't make sense to the world. I want to hear you, you ache over this because it's costly. Yeah. No, that that's so good because, I mean, that that is one of the introductory comments that that I made is that as believers, we're not called to lower the standards uh, of God to become more relevant uh, to the world or to lower his standards to accommodate our sinful desires. And, you know, you use the word flesh. So, and that that's, that's a good imagery to biblical imagery. 
But at that particular point, though, because we have two different living rooms on on stage, one that shows the living room of humanity, the mess that we made in God's living room. And so this is where I physically went over to the messy living room and and grabbed a lot of mess. And I said, here's the thing. God saved us from our mess. He's transferred us to the the glorious kingdom of his son. And so we're we're not to bring our, our mess in order to try to become more palatable or relevant to the world. Because if we do that, we actually lose our distinct, we lose elements of our, of our distinctiveness. And if you're trying yeah. to bring this over so it can accommodate maybe more of your feeling, like, you know, I'm just tired of struggling with this. Like, let me just do some biblical gymnastics and go, oh, well, God doesn't see this as sin. What? No, we're, we're trying to lower God's standards. But, but then a, a, another introductory comment that, you know, I had, uh, you know, kind of made is that there is forgiveness, grace, and cleansing in Jesus Christ, our King. Like, so so if you're a believer and you're struggling with shame, guilt, condemnation, you shouldn't be. Like, and, and because I'm really, we're, what we're trying to do is really enter into these spaces to go, like, if you feel those things, that's not Jesus, you, you know, dumping shame, guilt, and condemnation on you. That's you doing it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, because that's not how he operates. He's saved you. He's forgiven you. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that's something that, yeah, we, we de- definitely echo, uh, with your, with, with your, uh, viewpoint there, Lori. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, so going on to the next, well, going on to the section of, and that was a really good overview of what happened this weekend. And we talked, uh, about marriage. And family, and we talked about the different things. One comment I got, actually, it was three comments I got of people saying they were so happy that you actually had a slide and addressed singles. Yeah. Because most of the time when somebody goes, they just talk about marriage. Yeah. And you have, what, the majority of the world as singles. Yeah. And you mentioned it's a gift. Yeah. So, so Lori, did I have the, the single slide when y'all were looking at it? I did. No, we pushed back on you. Yeah. Oh, that's the way. See, uh-uh. I told you. Like it was. It was great to have. It was great to have. Because yeah, and I, and I, there, and be honest. There's times where I'm guilty of not thinking about the singles. And 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 the crazy part is, I got three singles in my household. You know, mm-hmm. two of them teenagers. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but and that's where I'm. Again, this is part of where there, there's victory in a multitude of counselors. So I, I was grateful for. The, uh, the the class speaking into that. So I did. I added a, a slide on singleness, and singleness is a gift. And um, and we all obviously see that in First Corinthians seven. But so, uh, what what would you say to to singles, Lori? Because you you actually mentioned you, you know singles in when you were given a little bit of a background of your story. Oh goodness, you have to care. Uh, if you care about God's design for marriage, you have to care about singleness and see it as an equally valuable vocation. I was speaking at the Q conference probably six years ago and with Preston and a couple other guys in this conversation. And uh, what seemed like an affirming gay person raised their hand and they're like, okay, so if this is God's design for marriage, how are you going to answer the loneliness problem? And I hadn't even done the study that I have on John 17 and 
the church essentially being the answer, but the spirit just had it bubble over me. And I was like the church. And since then, uh, really there's many people like me out in the world, one in five at this point of Gen Z, if not one in three identify as LGBTQ at some level. And I don't, maybe it's will lessen. I don't know when you start engaging in sexual sin, that usually it keeps going. Not, well, it doesn't look uh, like it's that trend. The, the growing trend is going to yeah. plateau anytime no. soon. Yeah. So for us to ostrich our heads in the sand, which I know is one of your points, it's not going to be helpful. So yeah. how do we answer the loneliness problem? If our answer to the loneliness problem, period, is marriage, we've made an idol out of marriage. If our answer to the loneliness problem is John 17, 21, God make them one as you and I are one, just as I am in you and you are in me, may they be in us, so that the world may know that you sent me. Like it sounds like a Dr. Seuss with in me and them. But I love thinking about that because am I as one with you, Josh, as the father is with the son? Are you as one with your church staff? I learned about your church over the last week. I know you guys are seeking that unity, that union, which is so good. But the answer to the loneliness problem for people, for the world who say your goal is to find your person If the church is saying the same thing, but all we add is a caveat, your goal of life is to find your opposite sex person. We are worshiping the same idol as the world. Marriage is supposed to be a picture of how much God loves us. So we need to say that the church, this unity is the answer to the loneliness problem. And single people, y'all are my brother and sister, and we are on the same front lines trying to advance the kingdom of God with the spirit helping us. So we have have, have to have singleness in our minds because with one in three or one in five people like me running around the church, especially in Gen Z, and if you say that they need to find their opposite sex partner to answer the loneliness problem, they may never be a Lori to find another Matt. We need to value them for the single people they are and be the family of God that Jesus promised them. Yeah, that's so good. And yeah, one, you know, and I did talk about the two sides of singleness. One being you see that God has called you to a life of singleness and celibacy. And then the other side, you know, being that you're single now, but you do pray that God would send you Mr. or Mrs. Wright, which then leads to this idea of, all right, so in your singleness, what do you do? And well, Paul would say, this allows you more time to focus on the things of of God and in that though you're you're letting God actually shape you and mold you because what's fascinating about the creation account and for for so long I, I had been you know in some sense taught really wrong about about why Eve was in some sense created and many people think for some reason that it was Adam that basically told the Lord hey I need a helpmate but Adam didn't say that. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. it was the Lord who <laughs> yes. said it's not good for man to be alone. So if you're looking, because I did also have some slides that talked about Cosmopolitan magazine and <laughs> the Huffington Post of why people get married, and you know one one of the reasons 
was so that they will complete me. And if you're looking for someone to complete you, you're looking for a functional savior. And I promise you, you're looking in the wrong direction if you're looking for a person to complete you. That when when Adam was created, he was completely fulfilled and satisfied in the love of God. And the whole idea of it's not good for him to be alone was the idea of partnering in mission, which is why when you know when I look at marriage, you you see really the role of the man is to be uh, the the priest protector, the woman being the partner because they're they're equal, they're they're equal in the mission of God because it was the family, it was the the marriage uh, unit, the family unit that was the the most basic foundational structure by which God was going to advance His mission. And so to piggyback even on the role of the church and for singles is that yes, the reason why we are one. Uh, in a in a unified way as a body of believers is so that we might participate in the advancement of God's mission in the world because it's actually in John 17 where you see this missional impetus of that unity of the brothers and sisters so that the world might know that I am God and so so I really appreciate your um I mean, your passion for for the church to get singleness right, and 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 I'll just be honest. There's been times where I haven't, and I've had to repent of that, and to to even right. you know even in the in this uh, this particular message that I needed to to recognize and and to actually teach singles. Hey, this is where you fit in in the. The, the the doctrine of of what we believe about family and also about uh, what God has called us as human beings to do in the world. So, so I appreciate that. Yes, thanks for thank reminding you, us. Thank you. I uh, just uh, also just and then to go on to the next point of of marriage, um, we define marriage, and you found maybe like. 45 scriptures just to back the, <laughs> the doctrine of marriage. So it wasn't just one or two. It was really good that there was a set. So the research into it. So the definition of marriage and one of the important questions that I loved about it is just like, what is your idea of marriage? And just bringing up what you, uh, or excuse me, not what is the idea, but whose idea of marriage. And you two were just talking about that point of view means that is I'm the one that's defining marriage. Yeah. If I'm looking for this particular person instead of God defining what marriage is, so that was really nice um, for that. Yeah, and it's you know, and, and like even in our leadership class, like we're we're talking through a lot of terms, but I think we live in a day and age where you need to define your terms. So defining what marriage is, but but where did that even idea come from? I think that's a legit question for our culture. And if and this is part of where, you know, really stressing the fact that our doctrinal beliefs are what we believe as the people of God. So we're not f- trying to force these beliefs mm-hmm. on the culture. Yes. You know, uh, we hope that we're inviting them in to at least understand what we believe and why we believe it. But it, it, it's a prof- it really is a profound difference between a contractual understanding of marriage and a covenantal view of marriage. And... Uh, and I hope and pray, and this is part of where you're really trying to elevate our marriages in the church so that they might understand it's not just a contract. Like mm-hmm. it really is a covenant that covenant. is supposed to reflect the covenant that God has with us. 
And in a contract, you sign yourself into a contract. In a covenant, you you are sealed into that covenant, and and usually through blood. Mm-hmm. And that's part of where you know, and 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 even even trying to tell you know teenagers is that one of the reasons why you save yourself for marriage is because it is a covenant, not a contract. And so, because when you enter into the actual consummation of a marriage, that's where the sealing happens. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, re- you know, rather than going to the courthouse and signing your name to a piece of paper, right? right? So, so that that's that's the difference, or I mean, that's not the only difference, but those are some major differences between a contractual view and a, a covenantal view of marriage. But I will say this in terms of co- of a cov- covenantal view: there are actually multiple kinds of covenants uh, in in Scripture, but one particular covenant, and I can't remember. I think it's the Suzanne or something treaty. I, I can't remember. But what it had was a larger, more authoritative power that brought two lesser equal people or people groups together. And that's ultimately what we have with marriage. You have the the, the kind of the suzerain Lord be, being Yahweh. Yeah. And then he yep. yes, and then he brings two into you know two distinct, whether they're groups or individuals, brings them together, but mm-hmm. what binds that covenant is, is yes, it's them, but it's the actual larger authority mm-hmm. over them. Mm-hmm. And so that's ultimately our biblical understanding of marriage, where that's where Jesus, and that's where even in the Old Testament, where the two become one flesh, but what God has joined together, let no man separate. So he he is the, the Lord over the covenant, mm-hmm. which is why we look to him to hold the covenant intact. Right. And so, I mean, and that's where I feel like, you know, I, anytime I talk about things that that um, you normally don't hear even from from pulpits or, or stages in our churches, I'm like, there's such a beautiful picture behind all of that, yeah. you, you know, that gives us even a deeper understanding of marriage. And so... And, yeah, and understanding love and God's love in that—that's just the seal. That's the true seal of it. Um, and you went on to several different things, and I'll go right into. I mean, you talked about divorce. You had some direction for men, which I think were really good. Yeah, somebody, somebody asked me last night, "Why didn't I give any women any direction?" Uh, and I, I said, "I've learned my lesson. I don't <laughs> give women any direction." <laughs> so, yeah, you so Lori, you got anything? You got well because I, you know, I, I, talking to Lori though, like I, I was so intimidated, and I was I was intimidated <laughs> last year too when I when I talked. A propel cohort. It's so intimidating. I mean, these are twelve incredibly sharp women, and I'm the only man, and I'm supposed to teach them. Like, uh, and I'm like, no, that I'm like fumbling over my words. Day one, like nervous, wear a dark shirt so they don't see the, you know, the the the, uh, the sweat. sweat. So, uh, but, yes. Uh, but uh, so, all right. So, so Lori. So I, I'm going to ask you though. All right. So I did give. So I gave men, particularly who obviously are married. I gave them five ways to love their wives as Christ loved the church based upon Ephesians 5. I'm just going to touch, uh, just go over them real quick with you, but I would love for you to, you know, maybe you can challenge or exhort or encourage women to how how to, uh, because what's fascinating in that particular passage is that women are not called to love their husbands, they're actually called to respect. 
So, so it's fascinating. But however you want to encourage you know, wives, uh, you know, be thinking about that. But here's the five ways I told men to love their wife like Jesus loved his church. Uh, know your spouse's condition. So obviously Jesus knew our condition and, and he knew what we needed. And so that's where I'm like, do you know your wife's condition? When's the last time you emotionally checked in with your wife, just how she's doing? The second one was to relinquish our rights for the good of our spouse. And so like I told him, I said, hey, guys, we have the right to be right. I mean, you have the right to be right. Now, you have to understand that if you're going to enter into and hold that right to be right, mama might not be happy about that. You have the right to go play golf if you want to or buy golf clubs. But you might want to check in with, with, with your wife before you do so. Like, So you need to relinquish your, your rights for the good of your spouse. The third is sacrifice to elevate your spouse's condition. So ultimately, Jesus gave himself up that we might be sanctified. And so, like, what are you willing to sacrifice as as a husband, whether, you know, time, talent, treasure, in order to elevate where your wife is? Uh, Fill your mind. Number four was fill your mind with active thoughts on your spouse. So I learned this years ago about, uh, about this. And my counselor called it points of attention. So like when you're engaged in your work throughout the day, maybe six, seven, eight hours, do you ever come up from your work, text your wife and say, hey, babe, I'm thinking about you? Uh, Or at the grocery store and you're buying ice cream, does it ever dawn on you to ask, oh, does my wife, well, what, what, what flavor does she like? You know, so, so it's like fill your minds. Like, so, and that's where Jesus says, you know, to, for men to love their wives like they love themselves. So, 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 you know, we, we do a really good job as men loving ourselves, but can we love our wife just as much as we love ourselves? And then the last, the, 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 the last point was remember our marriage is a covenant, you know, that you're just constantly remembering what God brought together. So that's what I really challenge the men with because I'm like, I, here's what I believe. Like when you actively do those five things as a husband to your wife, I promise you, you will have a healthier marriage. Promise you. Um, and so, so any any thoughts? What well, one you, you, can, you can even you, you know uh, you know engage with those five things. But uh, any any encouragement thoughts that you want to give from a mm-hmm. a wife perspective to other wives? Well, I mean. For people who know me in my work, you'll know that Matt and I wrote a book on marriage and it was really, um, the first chapter is me wrestling with God if I'm going to leave. And then the subsequent chapters are in that first one, you hear me say, all right, God, I don't really want this marriage, but I want you. And so if I want you, then I want what you have for me. And what you have for me is this marriage. And you see us wrestle through back and forth from my perspective and Matt's perspective and go back in time. We hear Matt's journey with pornography addiction in our marriage and lying. You hear my wrestling with trauma and you hear us going back and forth and throughout our seeking to seeking unity and oneness and intimacy in the midst of the book is called an impossible marriage. Mm. And the thesis is all marriages are impossible. Ours may have a couple extra added features that make it challenging with the same sex attractions and the trauma and the porn addiction. But the point being, what's the purpose of marriage? What's the purpose of sex and marriage? And can this, even this marriage find intimacy and union and um, it was fun to write and hard. You know, define fun. 
fun. Yeah. <laughs> fun. <laughs> very general. <laughs> fun. It's like the hanging out with Jesus, suffering fun. There, you know, yeah, that category. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I love that. Oh. Hanging out with Jesus, suffering category, categorically fun. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Uh, <laughs> so... I laugh because I, I'm never going to be the stereotypical wife who's going to be like touting love and respect and, um, and it, 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 whatever. I'm probably never going to, to keynote that sort of conference, but maybe in some ways I should because we've been to the bottom of the barrel and the fact that our marriage is healthier than it's ever been. And there's this like gentle sweetness that is totally fruit of the Holy Spirit's work that just brings tears to my eyes. And I'm now marriage's like biggest fan. Mm. <laughs> I'm singleness biggest fan and I'm marriage's biggest fan because of the transformative work that God has done in my heart, primarily through understanding a deeper theology of marriage, which you'll, mm. you could read that in our book, but yeah. to women, I just jotted down some real practical stuff. So keep in mind, I'm married to a marriage therapist. Okay. So <laughs> I don't, sometimes it's advantageous. Sometimes I'm like, just take my side. Stop seeing all sides, which is probably relatable. Uh, um, yeah. Wait, no, you'll go I ahead. Think yeah. It, Okay, I think a big one is do not jump on man-hater island. It is so easy for women when your husband does something for us to just text somebody or watch like 17 memes that just tell us how stupid our husbands are. And I would say invite people into your marriage pain, whether it's our level of suffering or just normal levels of marriage suffering, but people who are pro both of you and especially pro your marriage because they're for God. So yeah, avoid man-hater island. There you go. Love that. Wow. That's great. if you, I'll give a couple more and then I'll let you, we'll move on. Uh, give him time to think if you're in a fight. So this is mostly related to fighting. Uh, give it, I will say something. And even though Matt's a marriage counselor, he needs a minute. And I have learned that men, it seems like in general, forgive my stereotyping, often have not grown up with emotional language in to say heart words and we can lap them <laughs> to run laps around them emotionally. And that is unkind talking about uh, respecting and honoring and loving uh, your husband or even other person, but especially your husband is give him time. And there's times again, married to a marriage counselor where Matt is still to articulate his own heart words. Sometimes it, it sounds, it's like an adolescent learning how to use those words. And I say that with deep respect. Um, and for me to not say, do you mean this or this? Well, why didn't you, but to just give him time has been really valuable. Uh, use your voice with kindness and honor again, kind of not lapping them emotionally. And this has been helpful. There's times where I wish Matt would read my mind I'm sure that's only specific to our marriage (laughs) and know exactly how and where he should help around the house or know what to do with the kids or instinctively. And it helps me to remember, you know what, Lori, you're actually better at this specific space than Matt is, but there's other spaces in our marriage work or just the regular functioning that he is better than you, that he just does automatically. So can you, is this worth the fight? 
Or is this a space where you can say, I am going to humbly bow the knee to my brother and husband, you know, brother of Christ, husband, and just say, you know, I'm going to handle this. And if it's something that's stirring bitterness, do not shove that noise down. For, process it with the Lord and talk to your husband. Because I see a lot of women oof, who, quote, respect and honor their husbands. But there is this running layer of pain from years of silence and bitterness yeah. that is very not honoring to the Lord. Yeah. And causes great division between our own hearts and mouths, let alone a chasm between you and your spouse's heart. Wow. That that's really yeah, that's really good, Lori. Cool. Thank you for Thank sharing. Thank you. That. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. And then kind of closing this particular piece out with family, and I wanna wanna hit this because you defined it uh very well, using again forty four sets of scriptures. Uh, I love that. And you de- <laughs> you defined it. I mean, this was this was I, again, I go back to the beginning where I said multiple verses. Yeah, this was very in-depth because this is what Northland, you know, you're setting up for what we believe. And it wasn't like, OK, I'll grab these one or two scriptures here. No, it was in-depth. It was thought about. It was prayed over. So I really do appreciate it. So that's why I want to make sure I bring up how many sets of scriptures were were of it when you define. So let me just def- uh, give you uh, the definition that you stood. God ordained the family as the functional uh, institution of human society. It is composed of persons related to one another by marriage, blood, or adoption. Children are fearfully and wonderfully made and are, formed, are from the moment of conception, a blessing from the Lord. Parents are a model uh, devoted to Christ as they speak to raise their children by teaching them biblical truth. And I just think that is an important definition because, you know, we understand of what, just to understand truly what a family is biblically, because we get a lot from the outside of what family is supposed to be. And that's where we need to go. Well, yeah. And if you think about the family, once again, and I I use it as as the example there's a part of how the family has even been structured that reflects God's image. So, you, again, we, we serve one God, three distinct persons. So God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not God the Father. God the Holy Spirit is not God the Son. He's not God the you know the, the, the Father. So they're, they're one God but three distinct persons. And so when you look at man, you know, man, man was created first, but out of man came Eve. And then when God's going to bring them together, out of Eve will come a child. And so you have three distinct persons, but one, but coming from one. And so that's the beauty of, of the family. And there, there's a, there is a lot of just, when I say implications of, again, what we would think about gender and sexuality just coming from that point alone of how woman was taken from man, child is taken from woman, but they came from one source. And so that's just an element of how the the family unit reflects actually the family of the Godhead and how they how how God works in tandem in order in these different roles and responsibilities in order to bring about uh, the the good of creation but ultimately for his glory and so it so it's extremely profound and and that's again i mean so in that there there every family uh, distinct unit is 
valuable. There's not one that's superior, one inferior. That there's not one who's this and no, like they are equal in, in intrinsic value and worth. And that's where when you look at the fall of man, that's that that's where you you see a lot of manifestations of the brokenness in in the family because the 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 fall marred it all. It mucked it all up. Mm. So, mm-hmm. uh, but but no, that that's. Um, you know, when you look at the family, like it's a good, hopefully succinct definition of of what we believe about the family. Yes, and I uh, I agree. Um, and you know, to I will say, please go back and listen to the sermon because you did mention building blocks, but I don't want to reiterate. I want them to go back and listen to the sermon. <laughs> um, this next section of sexuality and gender that was the heavy one. So um, yes, yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> So, Lori, I think I showed you, like, the Jeremiah's ice, uh, like, picture. Mm-hmm. All right, so I had to change it because we we didn't want Jeremiah to feel like we were equating them with what we were about to mm-hmm. believe. So so we, we, we changed, it just changed it to, a, yeah, a generic picture of ice cream. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, I, you know, people were really kind of confused as to why the, you know, picture of ice cream <laughs> And so I, I put it up there, and I had you know, and I, and I, this is where I mean, this is where more of the rawness, vulnerability, a complete shift in posture, because uh, because marriage, yeah, I mean, even though again, marriage can be a very sensitive subject. What we were about to enter into when it when it came to sexuality and gender, we know like that is that that's the hot button issues, you know, right now. So I put up the picture of the ice cream, and I said, you're probably wondering why I put the picture of the ice cream up. You, you know, is it because I believe that sex is better than ice cream? No, I mean, that's not that's not why. But I said, years ago, I had a pastor friend of mine tell me that if you wanted to be liked by everyone, sell ice cream. And that what I'm about to do, I'm not selling ice cream. I'm, I'm stewarding the word of God. I'm trying to correctly handle uh, the word, while at the same time I'm trying to steward the body well. That I truly believe that God has put on put a call in my life to shepherd the church, the flock of God. And I said, and so I do not take this lightly. And so, so I use that. Yeah, so I use that little picture to kind of ease into, but to use it also to help people understand. Like I, I, I would rather not enter into this conversation to be honest. Like I said, this 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 weekend could not pass quick enough. So uh, I wanted to I wanted to go home, crawl in a fetal position, and just you know hibernate for the next six months. Like that's what I wanted sure. to do. So yeah, and yeah. and going to that, and we're talking about the definition that you provided. But before and you were talking about that, how. How did you prepare that? Because you could tell, like Lori even said at the beginning, you could tell this was heavy. And how did you really prepare? I want people to really understand the heaviness. And you said it, but again, this is extra takes. I want yeah. you to go a little bit deeper of, of how you prepared for something like this. Well, so I, I'm going to use I'm going to use the Propel cohort when we were talking about discernment, and I actually used y'all as an example for our staff meeting today when when Pam was asking, you know, what about discernment in leadership? 
And I'm like, man, that's fascinating. That's you know, and I don't have a presentation on that. So let's as a class, let's create a presentation. So that's kind of what we did. But the the last question when it when it when it comes to developing really discernment and leadership, it was well, how do you really develop and exercise discernment? And so. One of the ways that I shared that that we develop and exercise discernment is playing life chess. So if you've ever if you've ever played the game of chess, you you, you know that there's different there's these different pieces, but they all have different moves. And I'm sure you have pawns and you have a couple of bishops and rooks and stuff like that. But you, you know that they can only move a certain way. But if you if you played a game of chess. And all you did was just move pieces, you're bound to lose. But if you go to play a game of chess and you're trying to not only think strategically through your moves, but also think strategically through your opponent's moves, you're more likely to extend the match and possibly even win if you can think ahead, far ahead enough to be able to accurately move the pieces in, in in the way in the manner they should be mm-hmm. for you to win. So when you approach something as sensitive as this, you are playing chess in the sense of you're trying to think about what other people might think about how did you say that? How did you word that? Um, you're trying to think, okay, am I answering the right questions that people are asking? And then, what, and then and when you're building out the framework – you're, you're, you're trying to answer as many questions as you possibly can either before you say what you're going to say or after you've said mm-hmm. what you are, or, you know, you, you've said, which is why if you look at, if you look at the way I developed these, I thought of a sandwich. That was the image. And somebody said, well, it must have been some Texas toast because you had some long, you know, introductory comments and some long final thoughts. So I said, oh, I'll, you know, I'll receive that Texas toast. So, but, but the bread is the grace. Mm-hmm. The, the actual definition was going to be the truth. And so you wanted the truth to be cloaked in grace. Mm-hmm. And so like when you look at and and so and what I wanted people to know at the you know the beginning of these you know of of sexuality and gender I actually wanted them to know that there are at least three ways that churches engage in this conversation. And I wanted them to know that like you know not all churches are made equal. You know in the sense of they're they're engaging in these subjects equally. No, you got some that will affirm, some will attack. And those are extreme positions. And we don't feel like those are helpful. Those are even godly. There are some that are ostrich churches where we're just going to ignore it. Maybe it will pass. We'll hope it passes. Uh, it's not passing. So we believe that's ultimately detrimental to the church. And then there will be churches that actually enter into the messy middle. And I, I didn't say this because, again, it, it limited. But when you enter into the messy middle, you might make mistakes. And you just have to learn and you have to recognize, hey, I probably shouldn't have said that. And I think sometimes, you know, pastors and, you know, Lori, this would be where you can kind of really chime in. But, you know, uh, church leaders, pastors, we we have um, probably a fear that if we enter into these sensitive topics, we might say the wrong thing. Uh, And so, therefore, we're just not going to say anything. And that's where I want them to – I want everybody to see this is a messy middle. We're trying to learn. Uh, but but as we enter into these complex, messy matters, we're doing so with truth 
and grace. And mm-hmm. so, so, so I'm trying to answer those questions right off the bat. Why would you even be tackling this? Here's why. You know, and then here's the thing that I feel like we need to also understand is that there's going to be at least three responses. Immediately, just because it doesn't matter how much grace that we cloak, we we could have a loaf of bread on each side of uh, of (laughs) the truth, and there will be people that still will reject, cancel, be extremely derogatory towards us. We understand that. But then there will, you know, be some, and this is what I hope and pray, and you know what you're, you know what you said earlier, Lori. That this is where I feel we have to be in this space. But if you look at if you look at the research coming out of Gen Z on how many identify with the LGBTQIA plus, you know, and we'll probably continue to add letters as we we move on. What I'm hoping and praying their response would be, and I even directly talked to Gen Z when I made this comment. We just prayed that people would be open and objective to learning more about what we believe and why we believe it. So I even said, hey, guys, like I use this term very intentionally, learning. Uh, We're not saying we want you to believe what we believe. Uh, We're inviting you in. Would you just be open and objective to hearing us out? Because we believe it's that serious. And then there will be people who, you know, affirm, right? They'll give you the thumbs up, like, great job. And so, but so those are things that I'm really trying to, I'm helping to try to frame the conversation because there there are different when I say uh, perspectives that people have in the in in the engagement of and then even in the response of which then allows us to enter into okay this is what we believe mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. it, you know so with all of that Lori anything that you want to add or you want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into with your expertise I mean the only thing that's popping into my mind right now is like, why grace? And and I think there could be a misunderstanding even in this conversation that the reason we're saying grace is because, well, that's just nice to do and makes less people mad at us. But if we were really allowed to speak, we would sure chuck those truth grenades at people. It's just this PC culture, quote unquote, that is making us be graceful. But I I just want to remind people of how Jesus approached the greatest sinners of his day was face-to-face, was a lack of disgust. It was graceful. It was invitational. It was saving their lives before saying, go and sin no more. And sometimes I feel like anytime I advocate for kindness and grace and truth, it feels like the only verse or story people know from the Bible is, well, Jesus flipped tables. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) have you read the rest of the Bible? Have you read Romans 2, 4? Have you seen how he approaches people? And who was he even directing in that exact anecdote, that story? And I would also just point out to people that he was God and we are not. And he was able to be angry and indignant and not sin. But then I I would also point them to the backdrop of why he would throw tables. And that was actually from the dedication prayer of Solomon that God's house Mm -hmm. was to be a house for Gentiles. 
Gentile. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And so here, here they are messing up again, using our living room analogies that we have on mm-hmm. the stage. So they literally took all of their messiness as the people of God and made God's house that was supposed to be the magnet that drew the nations in. They messed it up. And so he's throwing tables because they made God's house yeah. what it was never supposed to be. And so that's right. So so if so if we're going to use that, then those people who have been indignant or oppressive or slanderous to people far from the Lord, yes. we're going to go and yeah. we're going to pile drive them in the name of right. Jesus because right. that is not how. Like so so yeah. I mean so it's always funny. It's all and this is part of where it's so it's it's interesting as a pastor in which. To listen to how people use God's word in a, in a wrong context because they never – it's kind of like, well, you can't sell coffee at the church because, you know, Jesus – he th- no, that, <laughs> we're not saying you have to buy coffee to be saved. That's not what we're saying, you, you know, right. so it, it, it's – Indulgences. Yeah, like right. – yeah, but so – yeah, so keep on, but I'm sorry. I did well, not mean no, to cut thank you, off, you but I agree. I I so appreciate it. You just added the like C footnote. So thank you for adding the C footnote. Um, but I, I want to say like, let's look at the entire life of Jesus and let's, uh, there's two places I could go here. If, if anyone is listening and you feel indignant at LGBT people, I want to invite you to take that anger to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, why am I so mad? Mm. Why am I so angry? And I would guarantee that underneath that anger, there's a layer of fear. That's where I'd invite you to pray Mm. is how can we pray from there or sorrow? Can you pray from a heart of sorrow or I feel afraid as opposed to this rage because rage blinds us. So I would say invite the spirit to check your heart as to why I'm so angry. Well, and I think, and, well, here's a, I have a, I have a thought of why I think some people might be angry, and 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 to a to a degree, I understand. I mean, these typically are people that you know remember the the previous generation, so twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years ago, mm-hmm. and and our environment, and now our environment has completely changed. From, yes. from 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 a, a moral value based society, and so they would love nothing more to go back to. And I don't mean this in a in a negative way, but they would love nothing more than to go back to Leave It to Beaver and Mayberry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, sure, I mean that maybe that was maybe that was great, maybe it wasn't. I you know I'm, we're not debating that. What what we are in now is a completely different environment. And so there's this huge loss. And here's the thing that I know, and we never got to this in crisis leadership, but here's what I know in crisis leadership. When you feel threatened, when you've entered into maybe, well, in this case, several transitions that have threatened some kind of element of your life, it could be, you know, it's threatened your morality, it's threatened your, you know, family, it's threatened maybe what you see, where where you see our nation going. And so you have all of these these crisis, crises mechanisms that are alerting yeah. you, that are threatening you. You either fight, you flee, or you freeze. 
And so what what this is part of where I'm hoping and praying that as churches do enter into the messy middle, we can teach believers how to respond well when we're facing our own kind of like crises, uh, whether it be a na- whether it's a national crisis that we see, a personal crisis, a family crisis, and uh, because that's typically where the anger and the indignation comes from. It's a it's a fight mechanism. That's right. And then I want them to know, and this is where I feel like over the last several decades, the church has fought the wrong battles and. And and again, like it's not to say that we don't engage the public sphere, but at the end of the day, our sit our primary citizenship is not in America. Our primary citizenship is in heaven, and so we are ambassadors of heaven. Uh, we are the embassy of heaven as as the people of God, and so we ultimately want to engage in a way that brings honor and glory to our king, not honor and glory to a nation. Now, again, I know that is really, really hard for people, but, you know, just, you know, I feel like I wanted to give that extra kind of the the, the C footnote because I do recognize the angst, uh, the anger, the hurt that, that, that many, even I would say older saints have seen. Uh, and even younger saints have been in some sense mentored by them to respond this way. And that, that would not be the response that would bring most glory and honor to our king because we're not fighting to preserve something. We are actually living to advance something eternally greater than the present. And so, mm-hmm. and, and that, that's the messy middle too, because that, that's a whole nother, you know, kind of, I would say sermon for another day about helping believers process the amount of change that has happened in America, but to process in a, in a, it in a way from a missiological point of view. And a when I say uh, uh, kind of a love your neighbor and love mm-hmm. God point of, of view. So, anyways, um, man, you have a lot. Love yeah, it. yeah, we, we could keep talking all day long, but <laughs> we could. But, but Joe, but Joe has you know Joe has a day job, and he's, <laughs> well, he's going to have to kind of wrap things up here in a second. So, Joe, I'm going to turn it over to you for one or two more things. That we yes, have. yes, but I enjoy that because again, you're you've been consistent of. We're in the messy middle and we're not as scared of the conversation. The problem is that I've seen and we've talked about this before is that people don't want to have face to face. And this is what Lori was talking about. They would rather just post something online or just shun something without just having the face to face conversation. So going on just uh, the definition now of going into our next section, that was a nice overview point of it, but going into sexuality. And we, uh, you defined it using 46 set of scriptures this time. Nice. Uh, I'm glad you know how to count. <laughs> did that, that's what I did for my homework. <laughs> we believe God's will for his people is to be sexually pure inside and outside of marriage. We also believe Christians who are tempted by sexual sin can, in the power of the Holy Spirit, walk in Christ's victory. Yeah. That's a, another huge shout out to the class because they helped me craft that language very, very well. And so, um, yeah, so so grateful for that. Good. And then to tie in uh, gender, um, and, and you did talk about 
difference in, and you talked about, uh, before we go into gender, I do have to bring this up. Oh. Uh, you talked about uh, the temptation of sin yeah, it's a big different thing. than the actual yeah. act and engaging yeah. in sin. So being sexually tempted is not a sin. So we were really, really clear on that. And that's what I want to make that. sure we hit that, yeah. It's the act of engaging. Like, because one of the things that I want people to know is that we're all broken. So we all have the proclivity to sin. And the, uh, when I say a prime example is, again, the garden, Genesis 3. Mm-hmm. So when Adam and Eve, I would, uh, you know, when, when Adam neglected his duty of guarding and keeping, that wasn't the sin. Uh, when Eve looked at the fruit, was questioning kind of the goodness, the authority of God, uh, seeing how delicious the fruit was, that wasn't the sin, is when they bit into, engaged in what God told them not to, that's the sin. Mm-hmm. So so even as a saved, sanctified, and one day will be glorified person, I am in the process of being conformed more into the image of Jesus. So I have the proclivity to sin. So what what I'm going to do, though, and this is, again, this is not just sexually. Uh, th- this is in other areas, too. Like I even used alcoholism. Mm-hmm. I used racism as an example. You might have the proclivity to be racist. And you might, you might be thinking about saying something, but, you're, but what you're going to do, you're going to bring that under the lordship of, of Christ. That's why I love, you know, Lori's, I mean, so focused on the gospel centrality or the, the gospel-centric nature of a believer's life. And so, so we just really wanted to be clear. The temptation is not the sin. It's the actual engagement. So, Lori, you, you might want to, you know, because I know that you only have a few minutes, too, but do you want to, because, you, you know, you're, you're, you've talked quite a bit about that, too, I believe. Yeah. About the gospel centrality within the gender conversation or well, just the, the, the actual the attraction part or, or, or oh, the temptation yeah. part is not the sin, you, you know, because no. yeah. that's a that's a big thing in 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 your when I, in a lot of work that you do that you have to you have to really clarify that to people. Yes, that's where the enemy really likes to shut people down. And I think that the enemy has used well-meaning Christian voices who in the those 80s, 90s, early thousands were trying to make gay people straight. Like that was a goal of a lot of Christian ministries in this space. And I think that that is not God's goal for our lives. His goal is for us to uh, glorify God and to advance the kingdom of God. So I really just want to underline that is if um, you're trying to find someone like me, a spouse, an opposite sex spouse, that can be idolatry, really having people fall in love with Jesus and surrender their versions of brokenness, sexual brokenness to the Lordship of Christ. That's the goal so that Jesus Christ can look awesome through our weakness. And he already is awesome, but through our weakness, we're made stronger and he's glorified. Yeah, I do have to jump off here. I gotta go get my kids from zoo camp. <laughs> so, well, thanks so much for joining us, Lori. We are super, yeah. super grateful for it. Uh, so, yes, just to continue on with the definition of kind of closing this section out of gender. Um, you talked a lot about the gender and the terms, but you define gender. I should say our belief of Northland of gender is God created. Humanity in his image with two gender classifications, male and female. The biological classifications are part of God's creational design and are meant 
to bring about human flourishing and hu- as human beings reflected God's glory in all spheres of life. The gift of gender is thus a part of goodness of God's creation. And to reback, go back, 45 scripture sets on this particular one. And a lot of, well, and I would just say a lot of those scriptures do overlap because again, mm-hmm. they're they're not they're not completely separate from one another. I mean, they're they're in, they're an integrated whole. So I just want want people to be clear about that and the, the other thing that I would also be clear about, you know, you know, is the terms to know. And these are terms to know and this is part of where, you know, I have and will continue to learn uh, about when I say these areas and these spaces, because this is part of the 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 empathizing. Mm-hmm. Is like I I really do want to to know, and I want I want people to know that I see you, that God loves you, that I, I really am trying to connect with you. Like I'm, I'm not just coming in here and I'm, I'm dropping truth bombs, like Lori w- w- would say, but that but I'm trying to meet them where they are, even though. I hold this belief, and that that's part of where I want believers to know we can hold to what the Bible teaches while also engaging extremely well empathetically relationally intellectually where where people might be and that again that might be a child of yours that might be a another family member of yours and might even be you. Like so so I, I again I, I just want people to know that that's part of the entering into like so think about John 1. It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So so we have God the Son become human flesh. So so he he took upon our flesh. Now again, he wasn't he wasn't uh, sinful because that's part of the 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 conception that Mary had of, of the whole the Holy Spirit came upon her and she conceived so so it wasn't because Joseph and Mary got together that Jesus was conceived no like he was he was in the world but he wasn't of the world and so this is where we can enter into this is called the incarnation so there's an incarnational presence that we have in the world where we enter into the fray we enter into the mess we enter into the complex but but we don't have to be tainted by it we can remain true to the lord and to what his word teaches while still entering into this this difficult, messy, complex, situ- you know, I say scenarios or environments or areas of people's lives. Love it. Yeah. Thank you. And then the final 10 thoughts. Yeah. And I would like for you to go ahead and kind of read and paraphrase and give those because uh, you did a really good job. And I don't want to just yeah. read those. Well, things. here's a, yeah, I mean, I, and I won't read all, you know, I won't read them all again, because I think what we're going to do is we're going to post them. Mm-hmm. Because I do think it's going to be really good for people to have these introductory comments because I, and these final thoughts because it does kind of give the framework mm-hmm. and it gives kind of the ending. But I, you know, I, I will say uh, I'll at least draw the attention to to a couple. Please. God does not make you or cause you to live in a manner that would dishonor or disobey Him. And I followed that up with the final thought, humans have been marred by sin and therefore are holistically broken. 
I think there is a at least an idea out there that well God you know God must you know God must have made me this way and so you know I have you know I I I have this pre you know disposition to do blank or you, you know I'm attracted to blank and that's just how God's made me or I feel this way and I know it's not like but God made me and I, here's what I would say to 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 that is this is part of where having a a fuller, deeper understanding of the fall comes into place. That's where we are holistically broken. Ontologically, by our very nature, we are broken. Purposefully, we are broken. Functionally, we are broken. Like how we relate, create, operate, we are functionally broken. Like we, we are misdirected in these things. Biologically, we are structurally broken. And so I, so in that, God's not going to make us any way that would cause us to dishonor him or to disobey him. And so that that's where having an understanding of yes, the, the the goodness of creation, but also the brokenness of humanity. And I think Lori's story is a really beautiful picture of she has uh, she has come to the understanding where uh, she was broken. Again, we're all broken, but she saw herself as broken in this way, but that God is in the process of of redeeming. And while she may not be able to shake that area of brokenness where she would be fully redeemed in that regard, this side of heaven, she has given that area to the Lord and saying, I want to bring this area under the authority of God. And so that's what we would really say is that God does not make you any way that would dishonor him or lead you to disobey him. And if you feel like he has, then might you might want to look a little bit deeper into the theological doctrine of of original sin and how we have been marred holistically. We have been tainted, fractured, broken holistically because of sin. Right. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. just kind of bring that well, and then, you know, to, to the close is, you, you know, we understand, and, I, and this is part of where playing life chess happens, is that we understand our beliefs may make people uncomfortable and may make them feel unwelcome. And we hope and pray that that wouldn't be the case. I hope and pray that people who may even hold different beliefs, that they would see and that they would even feel that we love them, we welcome them, we receive them, and we we even care for them. We care for everyone. We receive, we welcome everyone. We love everyone. Why? Because when we were unlovable, when we were still sinners— Christ died for us. Amen. And so he does welcome all. And um you know but here's what I would I, I would just make sure too that I would hope and pray that that you would that anyone who would understand the nature of God's reception of all would not forget the the second element of the reception is that God receives everyone mm-hmm. just as they are. I mean, mess, chaos, darkness, depravity, sin, and all. But He loves them too much to leave them like that. Mm-hmm. And that that's what you know. For me, that's why I was so emotional singing "Just as I am." 
you, you know, because it is my story. That the, the version that we sang this this past weekend, that's mm-hmm. my story. Yeah. That I, I like I'm giving him everything. Because yeah, he received me when when I was untouchable, when I was unlovable. But when I came into his reception and into his house, man, that's when he began to clean me up. Mm-hmm. And um and so so that is the beauty of the gospel, is that the gospel loves, welcomes, receives, cares for everyone. But when you receive that gospel, You'll never, never be the same. Amen. I love that. And and before you close, uh, and you've said this, and I just want to make sure, especially because we had people at the end, you know, we had elders, we had our prayer partners, they're just ready to receive prayer. So I want to make sure it's clear that if someone saw these statements and are, I feel that is right, but that's not how I'm living what should they do? What would be the next step? I would say, like, you know what? This interests me. I know that's right. I know what the Bible says, but that's not how I'm living. Usually it's that first step. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the first step is to find someone that you would deem safe. And I, I promise you our counselors here are safe. Our deacons are safe. Mm. Uh, but find someone that is safe that you can have these Honest, open conversations. I have this. I have this person that's in my mind, and and he struggles uh, in various ways. And he will message me periodically, and he will say that, like he and I think he. Well, not think. I mean, he sees me as a safe person. That there is no judgment. There is no condemnation. The fact that he has at least been aware, and 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 he's a uh, wanting. His life to be brought under the lordship of Jesus, like I, I just think of him, and and I, it's, it really is a beautiful picture where we are coming alongside of him, multiple people, me and a couple of others, you know, just coming alongside of him um, and walking with him because we care for him. Again, we're again even to Lori's point earlier, we're like we're not trying to necessarily cure him, we're trying to. Help him fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus and allow him to tap into not only God's sufficient grace, but the resurrection power that he might continue to bring these areas of his life under the lordship of Christ, as I'm trying to do in all areas of my life, is to bring it under, bring them under the the lordship of Christ. And so, well, North and family and friends, we love you. We are grateful for you. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Extra Takes. We pray that you have a wonderful rest of your day. Blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.